I'm here with Doug Kessler, uh, the, the co-founder and creative director of the Velocity B2B content marketing agency. Doug, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Happy to be here. I wanted to ask you this. You said um, in one of your interviews, you have to send, the best way to get in touch with me is send a 16-year-old scotch to my office, either to London or to New York. Is this really the best way to do business with, with your agency? I got embarrassing. Uh, I forgot I'd said that, but yeah, it ain't a bad way, actually. It gets quite a lot of attention. <laughs> a specific scotch, it was probably Lagavulin 16, I imagine. Yes. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I Googled it. I Googled it because I like to, you know, look, look up things like that. <laughs> That's funny. It's buried somewhere in my profile. And I, the funny thing is, I've got more bottles of Lagavulin that way. Like, you should, if you like a whiskey or something, put it in your bio somewhere and you never know. When people want to say thanks, there's a, a very specific thing. So it's worked. It's like uh, any any good marketing, you have to hold people's hand and tell right. them exactly what to That's do. That's right. It's a proper CTA. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Doc, so you, uh, you, you spent a little bit of time in your career way back in uh, the B2C space. You worked at Ogilvy, but you didn't really enjoy that. And then you pretty quickly moved to B2B. What, what was the experience like? I'm curious. You, 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 you did a lot of like consumer marketing or advertising, I assume. That's right. It was. It was classic Madison Avenue, 80s New York, you know. And it was, uh, I know I'm aging myself, but I guess the gray hair does that anyway. But uh, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. I actually was enjoying it, but I just think I was more suited to B2B. I was on um, like Dove Soap. And in fact, they said, don't call it soap. It's a beauty bar. And when, it, when you do stuff like that, already I'm thinking, really? And... There was something about the kind of, at the time, I was perceiving it as emotional manipulation of the audience, as opposed to just the B2B thing of convincing them to do something on the merits of a case, right? And so when I discovered B2B, also at Ogilvy on the AT&T account, I thought, well, no, this is something I can get into. It's techie. I'll have to learn a lot about tech. And I just got to convince a business user this is good for them. And I just felt better about myself than the kind of um, use this fabric softener, be a better mom. And I just, you know, mm -hmm. maybe it was my maturity, but I think I belonged in B2B. <laughs> and you, you did copywriting. You did mostly copywriting, right? At Ogilvy, I started in account management. I was in the account management training program, which mm -hmm. I actually really enjoyed, learned a lot. In fact, I would recommend to any copywriter start an account work because you have a different view of the whole business. And I swore when I jumped into creative, I wouldn't be a prima donna and became a kind of started an agency and creative director that we wouldn't have prima donnas, like we'd, we'd be a balanced agency. And so I'm really quite glad that I had that experience, but it took three years to jump over to uh, copywriting. But you go, uh, I read somewhere where you said that you would, you would go really far to hire the best writers. And I mean, not, probably not the prima donnas, you know, type of, type of people, but like in terms of uh, for your agency, looking for the very best, you would be very flexible in terms of getting them, make it, making or meeting their needs. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because the prima donnas and the very best tend to be uh, inversely related. Like the more prima donna, the less talent, not the more. I mean, there are exceptions where the absolute best might be a bit prima donna-like and, and I can see why they earned it. But um, for most, it doesn't, they're not attached. The best are not prima donnas. They're professionals. And yeah, we, um, it's our, one of our hardest hires and it's one of the most important. It's, I think Velocity is 
is, you know, is built on voice and also smart copy and strategy. So our copywriters are strategists as well. And mm. so, yeah, super, super important role. And we'll dive into it. What I would like to know is how you've been in both worlds, B2B, B2C. Where do you see, what can B2B world learn from B2C in terms of good marketing, in terms of creating good copywriting and just uh, putting out high quality content? Yeah, a lot, you know, I, I'm in a way I'm sad to say that we can still learn so much from consumer marketing because I would have liked to say we'd learned it by now. Um, for a while there, we were like, I think B2B was into content marketing before consumer marketing. And we were doing something cool, interesting, and they were looking over the wall at us for a few you know, months. And then when they got to it, they of course did it really, really well. And of course, what they're great at is emotional res resonance, having just complained about emotional manipulation. They are very good about getting to the bottom of why something matters and appealing to people as a whole person, not a decision-making unit, you know, and not being afraid to care about something in public and, and talk about beliefs and values. And so there's a whole lot that we can learn from the consumer. I, I know it can go the other way too. We have some hard jobs they don't have to do with very long purchase cycles and lots of buyers on a buying team that no consumer market would know how to deal with. So it's a different job in that sense, but lots we can learn from them and just mojo, like they do mojo really well. What do you think about TikTok? One of, this, uh, one of the platforms is so well ranked right now in terms of organic reach. Um, one of my friends just registered and he got like 11,000 followers without a actually making any dense videos. Uh, so they are, they are like Facebook in 2014. Um, any, any, any well, thoughts? it's exciting as hell. I must say it's the one of the first that I have not jumped right into. And I think it's partly because of COVID times and everything. Usually I'm the first in just to find out what's this new thing, just to see, not necessarily to harness it for marketing or business at all. And that's, I'm just fascinated by how a new tiny little change of a channel of, of, of a rule or something like Twitter came out with 140 characters mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they had some. And what is it about this thing that makes it take off? And so I'm fascinated. I've seen some amazing TikTok videos that have surfaced. So they must have a way of surfacing the best stuff. Uh, so I can't answer about how or why. Um, I, and I'm embarrassed that I don't have it on my phone right now because I think it's really important that we do check it out. But I'm not on yet. But uh, I just see it secondhand. Do you think uh, like B2B companies would ever like what, what could they potentially learn from this short form videos like TikTok or Snapchat or these platforms that are so straightly aimed at consumers, at kids, teenagers, uh, and nobody obviously takes them seriously in B2B, but like are there any areas that we could learn as, as B2B marketers? Definitely, and I think for the medium, it's super relevant. And I love the idea of tiny snippet video for B2B purposes. I mean, we have done some you know, product demos in GIFs, six second, 10 second GIFs. And it's like, if you can get your demo down to that, you've got something and it's super spreadable and social media yeah. and LinkedIn. So I think we can learn a hell of a lot. I mean, when Vine, remember Vine? Oh yeah. Six second video, right? Yeah. And I think GE did a six second science fair, which was just fantastic. Um, so I love limitations, content, give like put handcuffs on and I feel free, you know, it's like, that's when the fun starts. It's so true though. It's so interesting. And there's this saying where you should think inside of the box, not outside. Yeah. The tighter the box, the better. Somehow it frees up. It's like, look, it's only six seconds. 
how good could it be? So let's have fun. And, you know, you just go for it. I have to admit, your, on your website, the newsletter sign-off form is one of the coolest ones I've seen. It's like this little animation sign-off for our two-hour crap. I love that. It's so honest. Well, it's so um, like on brand. Well, one of the fun things, our, our voice is important to Velocity. And one of the important parts about the voice is to take the piss out of marketing, is to tease marketing itself, the tropes of marketing. And all of this kind of warm, fuzzy, please opt into our wonderful, we, you know, and when you do opt in, if you did sign up, the, the message of thanks is even more of a, we get more comments on that, which is instead of, we promise to respect your privacy, we say, ha, we just cookied your ass and we're going to cookie your friend's asses <laughs> and we're going to follow you all over the internet. And it just has fun with doing the opposite of what marketing's supposed to do. And that's actually fertile ground because marketers are so easy to tease. So true. No, it's, it's such an incredible strategy where everybody goes one direction, you go totally the opposite one. Yeah, it's fun. What do you think about, so in content marketing, and you talked about it in, in one of your, in many of your keynotes, where the more and more content gets created, everybody's sold on the fact that you should be doing it, but every brand does that. Every brand has a podcast, they have a video, they have a blog, they have white papers. What do we need to do? What brands need to think about to, to stand out? Would that be some of the things that you talked about in like adding swear language, adding things that are a little bit more fun, or it would be maybe like on a, on a high level? Well, voice is super important. I wouldn't necessarily recommend swearing. I have done talks about swearing in marketing because I'm really interested in it as a, as a way of speech and a special kind of speech, as is marketing. And so I'm fascinated by that, but I, wouldn't have, I, I don't recommend swearing to clients or anything, but I do recommend voice and I recommend strong, clear, powerful, confident voice. And funnily enough, uh, people who swear tend to have that, you know, and so it's like, can you get all the mojo you get from swearing without swearing? And that's, that's kind of uh, a one way to get to voice. So that's certainly a thing. I think mm. one thing that's true is content itself does not convert advantage anymore. It used to, you're the first one in your market with some content. Wow. You're going to leap just like the first website in a market. Yeah. And oh um, now it's like, no, that's the price of entry. Now you got to be great. And being great at anything is a lot harder than just doing that thing. And that's kind of, everyone's learned to do it. Um, and doing it great is now, well, what makes anything great? It's fresh, it's original, it's got full of passion and energy and mojo and attitude. And so those things absolutely apply now. It's like, yeah, part of it is also, do you want to do something great? Like a lot of, content marketing programs now are ticking boxes of we need a piece for this persona and that stage in the buying cycle. Let's make one there. We have one. Now we need one for that persona. And this line of business is asking for some, let's give him some. And never did anyone pause and say, what's the best thing we could do here? What is great content? And yeah. if you're not even starting to aim for it, your chance of hitting it goes dramatically down, I think. And, and so interesting that you brought up this point. Uh, I was very curious to hear your thoughts on that. There's one approach where you could go for brand awareness type of <clears throat> content where you're not really going after uh, the buyer's journey. You're not really tailoring your content to buyer's journey at all. And almost, well, very few companies actually do that because it's like scary. <laughs> Right. And, uh, but, but there is the typical approach. Everybody's has the, whatever framework they follow, and then they would plug in the types of content they want to do. And then like awareness consideration or any other, there's so many frameworks and that one is more tried and true, safer, um, a little bit more certain. What are your thoughts on pure brand awareness, uh, ignoring the buyer's journey versus 
and, and, and betting on hardcore, like on, on quality versus just buyer's journey type of content. Right. Well, the quality one's a little bit separate. So I'll take the one about demand gen versus kind of brand awareness. And I don't think it's either or. I feel like you need both. But I think the demand gen folks have hijacked content and taken it like that's ours. That's what we do. That's what it's for. It's like, of course, it's for that. It's great at that. It educates a market so you can kind of change a market. But it's so much more, you know, and it can be. And I don't think of it as not involved in the funnel it's just the very very top or even above the top of the funnel right. it is doing a hugely important job that will make everything in your funnel perform way better so your demand gen your lead gen will will perform dramatically better if you do a great job up there and that may look like brand and it didn't even mention our product and you know all these things that sales guys hate until um, you can <laughs> show them why they shouldn't you know like I hate this kind of dichotomy, like hard-nosed sales guys want this kind of content and like snowflake marketers want this kind of content. It's like, no, we're, I'm more hard-nosed than any hard-nosed sales guy, but this works. Like this kind of content, if you get that right, the bottom funnel, of course, you, you better be good at that stuff because you're going to start converting people. And, but you got to um, be good at the who are you stuff. The brand stuff is super, yeah. super important. What do you think um, a lot of companies miss or a lot of marketers miss in terms of the brand awareness or like a top of the funnel type of stuff? Because we all created a lot. We make all these blogs and, and, and there's just way too many blogs. I, I feel like, and I don't think even they're being like read. They're just being created for almost like, a, oh, we created it sort of thing. Uh, but like in terms of like some of the misses, because I feel like there's just so much wasted effort on yeah on like the top of the funnel. Yeah, there are so many ways to, to screw it up and, and to miss. And I guess uh, broadly speaking, you know, there was this exciting period when the whole market was learning how to do it and we're all on the learning curve together and it was cool and, and we're just kind of shooting from the hip and seeing and, and some of it worked and some didn't. And that period is kind of, you know, it's giving way to this kind of um, industrialization of the discipline. It's like, we know how to do that. We got a head of content over there and he's got a content team there. And this is what we do. You brief them this way, you put it in that end and it comes out that end. And, you know, we're good at this now. It's predictable. And, you know, all of that kind of method is good for predictable things. But when you want something that's by definition, unpredictable, surprising, fresh, new, those kind of bedded down processes in corporations and businesses don't tend to lead there at all. Uh, they lead to a whole different kind of experience. And again, I suppose it's wanting mm -hmm. when you look around and, and some content excites you, you yeah. think, well, why, why, you know, what is it about that? How can we do something exciting too? Instead of just, they have 14 eBooks. I want 14 eBooks, you know, and when you're done, yeah, you've got 14 eBooks, but as you said, did anyone come right. and get them? Yeah. And, it's also like, yeah. it's crazy how little mileage that companies use out of like take out of those things even if they create a good piece of content they can create like a phenomenal one put like you know like hire the right the best writers actually real thought leaders it doesn't happen that often but it does and then all they do they send it to the send it to their prospect list they put it on their blog get three likes and that's it they're like and then they move on to the next thing I know, I guess, you know, marketers are easily bored and stakeholders are not easily appeased. So you need more sacrificial lambs to throw at them or kill in front of them and all of that. And that is true. It is a problem. And it's kind of ironic that, you know, I'm talking about this kind of go for it, home run stuff and fresh and original, but 
it's the numbers that'll get you there too. So if you got your kind of data plumbed in right and you can measure what's working, what will work is the best stuff, you know, it will rise to the top. And so if you do that prosaic, well, you know, hard, but more prosaic work of what's working, we have found what at what works is the best stuff so those aren't counter like you can the bean counter will get you to great if you list if you actually count the beans right and um so that's another one that i think um people are getting wrong is not being hard-nosed enough about uh show me the money right and you uh you won the agency of the year in 2015 i love that picture with joe polizzi by the way that was, that was a good one <laughs> They caught you I, in the right it moment. was spontaneous. I actually gave him a big kiss and the photographer was right there. <laughs> that was a great moment. We won last year for the Drum Award, BD Agency of the Year as well. So it's not that's not the, our oldest laurel or or our newest laurel. I mean, oh, nice. And, and you, I mean, you are doing a tremendous job. Like I've seen that uh, old older article that you wrote. I think it's called Stakeholder Through the Heart. Phenomenal. Right. Oh, and thanks. not only the copy is incredible, but it's it's the delivery. Uh, it's the delivery of how digitally you deliver this digit that's different fonts and it all flows so well I actually never seen it on any other website before I read it cool. and I'm like oh my god like you're reading my mind effectively because it was so tailored to the problems that marketers experience right how do you like what do you do differently than other content agencies because okay, there's so well, many yes and so many are so there are some very very good ones out there i don't want to diss others i mean i was just on an awards panel for the ace awards and there are some really good entries there's some good work happening now and that you know that's just, that's exciting on that piece i'm really glad that you know i hear two things that you said there one was about it resonating for the issue which i really believe in like the stakeholder issue has become and i'm way too old to have learned the lesson this late but it took a while to realize how it's everything you know if you can align your stakeholders you can do anything if you can't align them and align with them there's almost nothing you can do and so you just got to put the time in to solve that first and that so i think the resonance of the issue is important very important to do in something great is it timely is it resonance doesn't need saying now you know and will it resonate with some like it resonated in your heart because you've bumped into stakeholders right you've yeah. you've had the scars right anyone yeah. who's had the scars is going to recognize this thing and then the other thing you talk about was where the format and uh we're big believers in that you know the medium kind of is the message especially in tech and b2b it's like if this is a different new story tell it in a different new way we have screens now like the pdf right. is is essentially a gutenberg paradigm we've got a page in front of us you know that's 550 years old or more now mm. and so we are really enjoying learning about the screen experience mobile first and beyond and trying to come up with formats that meet that that are really good containers for this new kind of content and it's and, an and honestly thing. i have to say like i haven't i haven't seen almost anybody who nailed it in the way that just resonated because um a lot of it, you go on anyone's website, it feels like a gimmick. Uh, they play with yeah. fonts, they use the quotes, but it's either being copied from the newspaper or from a magazine, uh, or it's just been just because it looks nice and the UX person said, let's do it. But it, it always form over function. And in your case, I was very surprised, but um, you didn't actually use that many words. I don't think there was yeah. a need to use that many words, but even, but the format and the fonts, it made so much sense. It actually worked so well. 
uh, and it just like emphasized everything. And I thought it was a, such a tremendous creative effort that went to. Well, this that's thing. so great to hear because, you know, that's what we want to hear because the devs <laughs> and the designers worked as closely, really closely with me on it. This is writer, designer, dev working really closely together from the start. And that makes a huge difference. And we have found that the kind of conveyor belt of that's okay for PDFs just doesn't work for a digital experience. And I agree with you that a lot of screen experiences are essentially print with a little, some gimmicks, like click this and it'll unfurl some, some content for you. Um, and we try to avoid that. It's always a trap you can fall into, but that's super important to get that dialogue going. It's like, what kind of story is this and what's the best way to make it come to life? And let's use the yeah. talents of a designer and a dev, not just a writer to get this across. Would you have any uh, creative, uh, creative workflows or creative frameworks that you follow? I know you're not a big fan of a framework, uh, but like any, any ones that you could share with us that uh, this is the, you know, like a step, the, the process that you follow to come up with a, um, like a storytelling approach. Well, we more and more processes coming up on the list and, and we're getting better and better at it. And I'm realizing that it's not anti-creative at all. It's an enabler of creative good process really is. And um, like our web process, web builds, now the process is incredible. And it's, and that process is, is trickling to the other things we do, the content and everything, which is look, nail your, your target audience and personas, nail exactly what you want them to do before you do anything like this kind of information architecture, almost treat every piece of content like an app that has to perform, right? And use that kind of rigor in doing a UX kind of approach, like design right. thinking for even the simplest piece of content. So the thing about getting um, the collaborators together earlier has been part of that. It's like, instead of handing over the wall, here's the words, make it look good. And then here are the, here are the pictures and words, make it wiggle, you know? Yeah. And you're not using the best uh, talents of each person in the right. process. It's like, no, get them together early. Think about the user. Think about what you want them to do and see where you go from there. So I guess it's not a rigid framework, that, that piece right there, but it's a, um, it's a, a method uh, that's a lot more agile and kind of agile, capital A agile than, than the waterfall way. Right. And you, uh, I've heard you were talking about, I mean, slightly in a different sense, this is a little bit more granular, on a broader spectrum, you talked about uh, the best or the, one of the best B2B marketing companies, they use the storytelling approach and they embed their story into every piece of content they create. And you gave examples of uh, folks like Drift. Um, actually, I'm wearing one of their, this is, was one of their events in Toronto. Uh -huh. And they were like, oh, and I saw a head. I'm like, oh, can I get it? <laughs> it's good. It's very good. And, and so, like you spoke, uh, you, you shared the framework about creating a storytelling approach. And it seemed to me that it's very similar to Andy Raskin's one. Yes. Uh, he wrote about this best, uh, best sales deck ever. Uh, could you right. share a little bit about the, some, of the, some of the steps that you outlined and what companies need to think about in terms of uh, starting with a story effectively? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It is um, very, very close to Andy Raskin's thing from the Zora best sales deck. Zora, and yeah. it's, um, I, uh, I do credit him as I share this galvanizing story idea. We actually arrived at it in our own way and have been teaching some of it for a long, long time. But someone else pointed out early how uncanny that was. I went and it's like, oh, wow, you know, I really do have to give this credit because I had read it and it was wonderful. It's terrific. And the most, it's kind of a five-step thing, the galvanizing story. 
But the most important for me, it starts with the first step, which is the change in the world. And what you start with is how has the world changed in such a way that creates threats and opportunities and that makes your answer, your breakthrough inevitable. Like, you know, this is just the thing. And, you know, people hate change. They don't want to change. So what makes someone change is the world changes around them and they kind of have to. Yeah. And so if you, if generally there is, if you're asking people to change, there is a change in the world somewhere that you need to nail for them and, and show that, look, that happened. This is happening and you need to respond to it. Your status quo doesn't work anymore. And so it, it goes on from, you know, from the change in the world to kind of the potential, the obstacles, what's stopping you, the breakthrough that lets you get through the obstacles and then the payoff. Okay. If you do get through the obstacles, um, here's what you get out of it. And um, it's, it's a, a bit of a formula and framework. You don't have to follow it exactly, but you kind of should have an answer to all of those things. And how do you approach the change in the world? Because I was trying to apply it a few times. Um, and I found that sometimes, like, do you go, uh, do you try to use a certain broader problem uh, and then and then add your company product or your company problem that you're solving to, to that bigger problem? Or you try to engineer a smaller type of problem? Um, and the reason I'm asking is because with Drift, for example, it's very obvious. Yeah, Salesforce, very obvious. Drift. Mm -hmm. Uh, customer behaviors changing. They need to. They they expect everything now, and it's true. It is such a true. It's so true. But I find that sometimes you just can't find that big trend. I will, I'm curious, like what would be an approach, or what what type of questions you should be, or a marketer should be asking themselves, asking themselves. It's a really good one because that that is the tough one, and you really do need to get it right. And it's easy to do a broad brush thing like customers are demanding more than ever before. You know, that's mm -hmm. the one you'll yeah. see a lot. And it's like, well, no shit, Sherlock. You know, I mean, it, it shouldn't be particularly debatable. I don't think that the change in the world should be that contentious or controversial. It's, it's got to resonate in your buyer to say, yeah, that's the world I'm living in. What you just said, that's happening. And so the scope of it, like how big a change, is it a huge trend or a little thing, um, is super important. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times we say, well, that was obvious, like drifts is obvious because they told the story so well and now it seems yeah. inevitable i mean they had kind of a couple changes you know one is that instant need it now but their thing was basically buying has changed but the stack is still built for a different kind of selling and that disconnect was kind of the thing that they wanted to address with conversational marketing this category um so it is a hard one i don't think there's a formula i think the answers come from really specifics of a situation um, but what you don't want is too general a thing, too contentious a thing. Like if your change in the world is, you know, Bitcoin is, is, uh, has replaced currency and, you know, well, it hasn't. And I, I, I don't agree. And so that change doesn't resonate. Yeah, it has to be very, it has to be something that your customers already believe in. They're already living in it. Yep, that's right. And they're probably experiencing the friction of that, of that, wow, the way we did everything before isn't, um, you know, isn't working anymore. Yeah. Um, and so something that has yeah. something that has a mileage probably too, right? You, you don't want to like define it for like two years and then say, oh, we got to, we got to come back now. It has changed again. You want to have maybe a little bit longer life cycle, if that's the right way to say it. I think so. I think you certainly don't want to just be a fad. Um, and 
yet if it's a timeless thing, it's not really a change in the world, is it? So there, but you know, there's so much change around us all the time that you're gonna find one that matters. And if you're struggling to find the change that's really shaped well, you might have a product market fit issue. Like it might not be a marketing issue. It might be like, well, you really are in right. a place where this is gonna be hard because your, your person, your, your prospects uh, world hasn't changed enough to make them urgently want the thing that, that you're talking about. Uh, Doug, so you focus a lot on the written content, um, a lot of uh, from, from your agency work. How do you approach video? Uh, video and um, like short snippets to long form content? Yeah, huge, huge believers in video. And I mean, it's such a versatile medium. So for, you know, we're a B2B tech agency. So just as a core, it's a core thing for explaining complex things. It's hard to beat video. You've got audio and visual and so you and you got words so you you've really got all you need um but i think most b2b companies use video in a very limited way and they, they'll have maybe talking heads they might do the animated explainer maybe they do the kind of stock-based corporate rah-rah thing you know um but there's so much more you know cgi and old school stop motion go low tech are these handheld iphone movies like grab your iphone do a selfie movie in five minutes you know documentary like a full feature length like envision did with design disruptors right so there's video and it can be like yeah six second science fair or it can be a five hour uh course on whatever you want to teach people you know, everything in between. It's as versatile as like, if you were to say, what are words good for? Tell us about words. Well, words are for everything. And in a way, video is too. It tends to be put in a little, I've seen people do these charts. Video is great for bottom of funnel. It's like bullshit. It's all over every part of the funnel. Anything you want to do, generally, there's a, a way to do it with video. And you could, I uh, find it such an, a versatile medium where you could repurpose that into audio you could repurpose that yeah. into your blog white paper or any, any of that type of stuff absolutely you've got a master format there where you get you get uh text out of it you get audio out of it you get video out of it and so you know why not use all of that uh yeah what's what's interesting i was curious um gary v obviously talks a lot about oh, you have to be posting like six times a day or like seven times a day and it might seem like, oh, this is like, that's crazy. My people, my, my, my audience won't like that. But I have seen on LinkedIn people who, who have large following and they post like three times a day and it works and their audience does not experience fatigue. Uh, I'm curious to hear like your thoughts on the frequency and is it, is it all about the quality of the content uh, or sometimes you can hit that level of fatigue uh, with your audience? Yeah, you probably can burn people out. I mean, I think for his following, he, you know, it works for him and he's got that star quality, you know, that his people can't get enough of. Um, there are others like the Backlinko guy writes when he wants, he puts them out there long when he, when he releases them, but he only releases stuff he loves. And that's a different model and it works very, very well for him. And part of it is like, well, what's, what's going to work for you? What's the better model? And there, there, there are obviously things in between where you blend you might have some cadence stuff that you know you can deliver well. I mean, quality is non-negotiable. If it's shitty because you yep. have frequencies too high, you're doing it wrong. So it's got to be, you know, a cadence of quality things, but then the home runs come along and you invest in those. So, you know, I think there are a lot of different ways to do it. And you got to look at your own situation, your own audience, what you can do, your own resources, and think what's best for me, you know. 
Um, I yeah. was always um, a commitment phobe, and so I never wanted to have a every Monday scheduled thing. I think we suffered for it. I don't think it was a good strategic thing. It was just, that's who I am, and it would take the fun out of it to regiment it too much. And mm -hmm. for me, fun was a core strategic decision that we would do these things and enjoy them. And, and anything that was gonna kill that was actually not smart strategy. And you said something that I wrote down uh, where, oh yeah, this is what it is. Most marketers gravitate towards best practices. The best marketing comes from people who deviate from those practices and do something different. And I thought it was such a powerful thing because. Well, it's something I definitely believe in. I think um, Jay Akunzo has written a book about that and he does great work on it too. And he's kind of railing against best practices almost as, as if best practices are by definition um, the enemy to great work. Uh, I think that's maybe too far, but he makes a great point. And I think it's right. I mean, we have to get attention. That's number one. It's the gateway drug to all of this. If you don't get anyone's attention, you get nothing. And you don't get that with predictability. You get it with surprise, you know. And also the specificity of your own case means that someone else's best practice is very unlikely to be yours. And that's why the kind of, okay, that works for Gary V. You know, if you want to pull that off, you, you need to be Gary V. You know, if you can do that, his is the right way. If you're not Gary V, come up with yours, you know, find your best practice, you know. Is this the desire of people to, to have an answer, to find the roadmap and to uh, remove the uncertainty, all the risk? Yeah, and it makes sense. Well, I get it, you know, and we're big in stealing too. Like stealing is what we do. It's not plagiarism, but it's like, that's great. How do we use it? That's great. How do we use it? That's where, I mean, luckily the ones we're stealing from stole it from somewhere else. So it's all okay. But, you know, I get that urge, but what's ironic is like what they should be copying is what was fresh and original and breakthrough about that and not the outer kind of uh, best practice about it. I'm curious to hear what you would suggest to smart marketers who want to um, get better in this weird time and beyond. Um, what are some of the things they, that they should be doing or trying that they're maybe not doing now? Well, I think, you know, going back to the stealing thing, maybe because fresh in my mind, but I think, I think stealing can be a discipline like you and we do a, a blog post series called let's steal from and we take a thing we put it on the lab bench we pull it apart and i'm a real believer in this which is take a thing you love and then figure out why you love it and then then the next thing is figure out what in your business you can apply that to so that's the jump right there that's the jump you it's like i love that you know this thing used this medium in this really cool way Mm -hmm. Great. Now, what story in my world, in my business, can I use that trick and medium, something like it for, aha, that would work here. And so that apply it like applied theft, you know, but find what excites you in the world and then see how to bring that into your world, you know. And so I think being a student of it all is really mm -hmm. important and just kind of... Um, when you're enthusiastic about something, don't leave it at that. And don't think, oh, that's fine for them. That's great for Nike, they're Nike. Most people will make those kind of excuses. Well, they have a billion dollars. Yeah, but that didn't cost a billion dollars. That was a hundred dollar idea. They, you know, that's, you could have had that idea. So, you know, whatever excites you, don't let it just pass by and think that's for other people. Grab it, get it on the table, pull it apart, get your colleagues in and say, we gotta do this. You know?
Totally. Absolutely. Doug, what are the, some of the, and I mean, uh, to your Nike comment, I think everybody should read the shoe dog phenomenal book yeah, yeah, yeah. and really Fantastic. talks about like, just didn't happen like that. It was the guy was doing it for like 50 years. I know everyone loves this kind of inevitability of the like, Oh, well, that's great for Apple. What made them Apple? What made them Nike? Like they did, they weren't always, they weren't born those things, you know? Exactly. They, they, I mean, said Godin has this amazing definition of the dip where they, you know, you go through the slog of like 20, 30 years and nobody sees that. They're like, oh yeah, these guys are phenomenal because of, because of everything surface level, but that's just not the real thing. Yeah, that's right. It's always that. It's like, you know, I love that idea of the dip and, and you know, did you give up in the dip or did you stay with it? And there's like a Darwinian thing. If you gave up, that's because you weren't meant to get to the, out, out of the dip. And if you didn't, well, that's because your heart said, stick with this and get, you know, get through it. Oh, true. Uh, what are some of the books that you've, um, that you would recommend for not only marketers, but people who are just generally interested in business, maybe content creation, um, anything that would be worth the read that, that books maybe that helped you personally or that you come back to. Okay. Um, there is, um, an article called marketing myopia written by Theodore Levitt in the 60s, like 68 or something. And it got me into marketing. I read this thing as a, I think I might've been a like freshman in high school or something. Mm -hmm. And it just excited me so much. And it's about how brands define themselves very narrowly. And so they miss the change in the world that would have, you know, would have meant they were the next big thing. Um, obviously he does it way better than that, but so it's one I do go back to. I think it's just so timeless, that idea, marketing myopia. Um, mm -hmm. There are some classics like Innovator's Dilemma is, is similar. Clay Christensen, who died this year, brilliant Harvard Business School guy. And it's all about why do incumbents miss the disruption? And um, he uses a lot of data about it. It's very, very good. Um, Crossing the Chasm, I still believe in. It's the Jeffrey Moore one about... Mm. Um, you know, um, early adopters and like the language has percolated out, but the book hasn't been read enough about tech adoption curves and what you need to do. And it's important to know, are you marketing to the early adopter, late adopter, uh, you know, majority? It's important. Like you will market very differently to those people. And I, you know, I think people need to understand those concepts and know who they're marketing right. to. So that one I would, you know, put on, put on anyone's list. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Doug, what is the exciting thing for you right now? Uh, I mean, we are time, but anything yeah. that keeps you excited, keeps you motivated for... Well, for excited if, if anxiety is included, I would say helping Velocity kind of um, navigate through this, this, this storm is uh, keeping me on my toes. That's a big one. Um, I'm excited by, you know, Velocity's progress in, in accountable marketing, like we have a content performance practice, which is going gangbusters all about kind of analytics and show me the money and um, data. And it's, you know, it was growing almost as a silo a little bit and we didn't like that. And we started to build bridges and it's really coming together. And I'm very, very excited by what happens when all the kind of content marketing chops come together with the performance marketing chops. And that's starting to work in a way that's super exciting. Um, I'm my personal life. Like I'm not learning Italian or anything. I'm learning bluegrass guitar though. And oh, nice. one thing I'm nailing in lockdown is dental hygiene. I am <laughs> killing my dental hygiene. My, it, my hygienist, when I get out of this, she's going to expect six months worth of decay. It's going to be beautiful. 
Oh, there we go. <laughs> there's some, I am there's... brushing, flossing, the little pick things. I do it all. Well, there's so there's some some things to you know some positives. There are some some good Big takeaways from silver that. lining. <laughs> Doug, is there anything we have missed, or uh, maybe a final message to the audience? Something that I haven't asked you. I think you did a really good job there. I'm all answered out. I can't think of anything that I wish you'd asked. In fact, you asked some things I wished you hadn't, but uh, you had to go. <laughs> so I think I'm pretty good. Doug, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You too. Thanks, Sergey. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys, for listening. Hope you enjoyed this interview with Doug Kessler. Go and check out his content. He's got this amazing, amazing content on his agency website. You can also send me a note on LinkedIn and connect with me. I'm super open and really interested in connecting with marketers, content creators, social media folks, and appreciate you guys tuning in. And I will see you in the next episode. Cheers. I'm not